Hello and welcome to the first in our new podcast series, The Global Business Crime Outlook. My name is Ben Packer and I'm a partner in Linklater's dispute resolution practice. Today, we're focused on a significant development in the UK. Last week, the UK's Financial Conduct Authority announced it was bringing criminal charges against NatWest under the money laundering regulations. This is the first prosecution of its kind in the UK. In this podcast, we're not going to focus on that particular case, but we are going to look more broadly at what a criminal prosecution under the money laundering regs means, how it differs from a registry investigation, and what ultimately it could mean for a defendant company. I'm delighted to be joined exploring these questions by Ellie Proudlock, a counsel in our dispute resolution team who specialises in criminal matters. Hello, Ellie. Hello, Ben. And Claire McMullen, a counsel in our financial regulation group who specialises in registry investigations. Hello, Claire. Hi, Ben. So first off, to set the scene, Ellie, could you just give us a brief overview of what money laundering is and what the key laws are in this area? Money laundering is essentially the process of making the proceeds of crime appear as though they've come from a legitimate source, and it's a criminal offence in its own right. The primary money laundering offences are contained in the Proceeds of Crime Act, and they essentially make it a criminal offence to deal with property that you know or suspect is the proceeds of crime. For those of us who work in the regulated sector, um, there are also separate offences for failing to report suspected money laundering to the authorities. Then there are the money laundering regulations, which impose obligations on certain businesses like financial institutions to have systems and controls in place to designed to prevent money laundering and terrorist financing. Reaching those regulations by not operating the right systems and controls can result in civil enforcement by the FCA or in some cases, criminal prosecution. Thanks, Ellie. And, and Claire, um, Ellie mentioned the FCA there. How do they fit into this framework? As Ellie has said, uh, the money laundering regulations impose obligations on various different types of businesses. Compliance with the regulations is overseen by 25 supervisory authorities in the UK. 22 of those are professional bodies like the Law Society, and three are statutory authorities, including HMRC, the Gambling Commission, and the FCA. The FCA is the supervisory authority for credit and financial institutions and certain other financial services firms that are within scope of the money laundering regs. And it's fair to say, Claire, that the FCA have been very active in this area over the past few years? Yes, that's right. Financial crime compliance is consistently highlighted as a priority in the FCA's annual reports and in speeches made by various executives from the FCA. To monitor firms' compliance, the FCA carries out a range of work, including firm visits and thematic reviews. Where the financial crime team has concerns, the FCA frequently requires skilled persons or Section 166 reports and might even consider enforcement action. The level of activity is borne out in the statistics. Financial crime cases were 11% of all open FCA enforcement cases at the 31st of March last year, which is down from 13% the year before. And that fraction is behind only un unauthorised business, retail conduct and insider dealing investigations. Financial crime was the area in which most skilled person appointments were made in both uh, 2018 to 19 and 2019 to 20, where it was 27% of all the reports commissioned. And financial crime is an area where we have seen regular enforcement action, including some really significant fines in recent years. Financial penalties for AML and financial crime issues constituted 56% of the total FCA and PRA financial penalties imposed for the calendar year 2020, 
those penalties are often significant. So £96 million fine was imposed on Goldman Sachs in relation to the 1MDB matter, and a £37.8 million fine was imposed by the FCA against Commerce Bank uh, for AML systems and controls deficiencies. In some cases, the fines have been accompanied by restrictions on businesses. But AML failures have often been treated as breaches of the FCA's broad principles for businesses, as well as or instead of breaches of the MLRs themselves. And so far, all of the cases have led to regulatory outcomes, not criminal proceedings. And just pausing there, Claire, some of the listeners may have heard references to some of these cases being started on a dual track basis. What does that mean? So as Ellie explained earlier, failing to comply with the money laundering regulations can either result in a civil penalty or in a criminal conviction. Just as they do in the context of market abuse investigations, the FCA regularly opens its AML investigations on the basis of suspected criminal and regulatory failures. And by doing that, the FCA are keeping their options open for whether they take regulatory or criminal action at the conclusion of the investigation. In such dual-track investigations, we've seen the FCA often choose to drop the criminal aspect and focus solely on the regulatory, leading to a regulatory outcome at the conclusion of the investigation. And where the FCA do drop the criminal aspect and focus on the the regulatory aspect instead, how, how does the process play out from there? So where the FCA proposes to issue a penalty and notice, it's the same process as resolving investigations into other breaches of the FCA rules. So most firms settle during a process known as stage one uh, and get 30% discount on the financial penalty proposed. But if they don't settle, they can contest the FCA's findings through the RDC and ultimately take the case to the upper tribunal. And Ellie, if the FCA choose the other option and instead go down the criminal route, how does that affect the process? If a company is charged with a criminal offence, then the matter will be dealt with in the criminal courts with the FCA wearing its prosecutor hat rather than its regulator hat. The matter then proceeds like any other criminal prosecution. Soon after charge, the company will appear via a representative in the magistrate's court. But then depending on the seriousness of the offence, the magistrates may decide their sentencing powers are insufficient and it will go up to the Crown Court quite quickly. Once charged, the company has the option of pleading guilty or pleading not guilty and contesting the charges at a trial. So could the subject of criminal charges try and reach a settlement with the FCA, Ellie? A corporate settlement in criminal cases is called a Deferred Prosecution Agreement, or DPA, and they are available for breaches of the money laundering regulations, but the FCA doesn't currently have the power to enter into DPAs. Once a company has been charged, then unless the proceedings are discontinued for any reason, it can avoid a trial only by pleading guilty. If it pleads guilty at the earliest opportunity in court, it will automatically get a third off its sentence. So how ultimately then would the case be decided? Breaches of the money laundering regulations can be tried in the magistrate's court or the Crown Court, depending on the seriousness of the offence. In practice, though, a large corporate is likely to be tried and or sentenced in the Crown Court. A Crown Court trial is a jury trial. And what defences would be available to a defendant? Well, as with all criminal prosecutions, the burden is on the FCA to prove that the defendant company has contravened the money laundering regulations. The regulations say that in making that assessment, the court must decide whether the defendant has followed guidelines issued by the FCA or other supervisory authority. 
Now, offences under the money laundering regulations operate on a strict liability basis, which means they don't require any particular state of mind, like knowledge or intent. That said, though, it's a defence to show that a defendant company took all reasonable steps and exercised all due diligence to avoid committing the offence. Now, whether reasonable steps had been taken would ultimately be a matter for the court to decide, which in the case of a Crown Court trial would mean a jury. It might seem counterintuitive that lay people would be asked to assess compliance processes in specialised businesses, but there is precedent for this in the health and safety context and more recently in the bribery and corruption context. And if a defendant was found guilty, what, what kind of penalty can the courts impose on them? Well, obviously, you can't imprison a corporate. So for a corporate defendant, the court can order it to pay a fine and there's no statutory limit on the level of that fine. Uh, Ellie, the SCA has published a penalty policy that it's required to follow when it takes action for regulatory breaches. Is there anything similar that the court would apply or is it completely uh, in the judge's discretion? Well, there's no statutory limit on the level of the fine, um, but what and, and there are no sentencing guidelines that are specifically applicable to offences under the money laundering regulations. But the court is likely to be guided by corporate sentencing guidelines that exist in other areas of economic crime. The amount of any fine is likely to be determined by factors such as the level of culpability, the cost avoided by failing to operate adequate systems and controls, and whether there are aggravating or mitigating factors. And Ellie, in, in regulatory proceedings, we, we get a detailed notice at the end of a process. Do, do we get anything similar after a criminal trial? Well, if the defendant company was convicted, uh, we would get sentencing remarks at the sentencing stage. And these are sometimes uploaded onto the judiciary website in high profile cases. But you don't get a detailed decision like in a civil trial or a regulatory enforcement proceeding. And so far, we've focused on corporate defendants. Is it possible for individuals to be criminally prosecuted under the money laundering regs? Yes, it is possible. The regulations say that where an offence has been committed with the consent or connivance of an officer of the firm or is attributable to the neglect uh, of, of any officer, then that officer is guilty of an offence. So, Claire, turning back to you, if, if ultimately the outcome is broadly similar, a, a fine imposed on the corporate, why would the FCA choose to go down the road of criminally prosecuting a, a defendant? That's a really interesting question, Ben. Uh, the FCA has said that where Parliament has granted it power to take certain action, then it should be willing to use that power in the right circumstances. So in relation to the money laundering regulations, those circumstances might be an egregious failure in a firm's systems and controls. There's a view that criminal proceedings uh, send a stronger message than regulatory action, as there's an additional stigma attached to criminal conviction. And Ellie, what kind of collateral consequences could a conviction have on a corporate? Well, a convicted firm might find itself debarred by certain governments from tendering for contracts, for example, and there would clearly be reputational damage and possibly the prospect of defaults in contracts entered into by the firm. There's also obviously the prospect of shareholder actions. And Claire, a conviction for a regulated firm could have regulatory consequences too, right? Yeah, that's right. It could have severe consequences for a regulated firm. The doomsday scenario is that it might lead to a reassessment of whether the firm meets the threshold condition of being fit and proper. Evidently, that's unlikely to be answered in the negative in any but the most egregious of cases where uh, problems were really systemic and affected the whole of a firm's business. 
ultimately a finding that the firm has reached uh, breached the uh, money laundering regulations, whether that's regulatory or criminal, could lead to other regulatory consequences too. For instance, regulatory investigations into individuals. We've already seen the FCA produce um, MNROs in the past, um, and it might lead to remuneration adjustments or similar. Firms will often have remediated the underlying issues by the time an investigation commences, but even if they haven't, uh, they'll be expected to deal with any gaps in their systems and controls in the course of the investigation or shortly after it concludes. And Ellie, then, just zooming out of prosecutions under the MLRs and looking at this more broadly, do, do you think prosecutions uh, under the MLRs represent an isolated case or is this part of a broader trend of more money laundering enforcement? It's very clearly part of a broader trend that's been gathering momentum for several years in the fight against money laundering. More and more sectors are coming within the ambit of money laundering regulation. For instance, crypto assets last January and the art sector. Other supervisory authorities beyond the FCA are also bearing their teeth. So in January, HMRC issued its biggest ever fine for breaches of the money laundering regulations against a money transfer business, MT Global Limited. It fined them £23.8 million for significant breaches of the money laundering regulations relating to risk assessments, policies, controls, controls and procedures and, and customer due diligence. That said, it's still likely that criminal prosecutions will be reserved for the most egregious cases and that most cases of suspected money laundering regulations breaches will continue to be dealt with through the regulatory process. Beyond the UK, this is very much a global trend, and that's something we'll explore in our business crime webinar on the 20th of April. So thank you, Ellie and Claire, for sharing those perspectives. And if you're interested in hearing more insights from our global team, you'll find lots of helpful resources on the business crime investigation site on linklatest.com. You'll also be hearing more from our lawyers across the global network in upcoming podcasts, as well as the webinar Ellie just mentioned, which is dedicated to global money laundering trends, and that's taking place on the 20th of April. So look out for invites for that. Um, just finally to say thank you all for listening. Mm -hmm.